Hey guys, it's Josh, and welcome to the Not So Bad Bachelor Pad, where me and my guests help you level up your life for everything sex, relationship, and pleasure based. So come on in. So come on in, have a seat, and let's get into it. Joining us today, we have Dr. Christopher Jones. Dr. Jones is an internationally recognized clinical psychologist and sex therapist. He was the lead researcher of the Menstruation Initiative. That was a global study exploring the benefits of masturbation during menstruation. I mean, menstruation, kind of put that together, which was covered by over 250 media outlets all over the world. He's often been a contributor to countless publications such as Cosmopolitan, The Huffington Post, Bustle, and The Oprah Magazine as an expert in sexual health. He currently chairs the ASEX Special Interest Group on Sexuality and Religion. And not only that, since 2020, he's also been the host of the popular Sex Therapy with Dr. Jones podcast. So guys, give us a hand for Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones, how you doing today? Uh, we have with us Dr. Christopher Ryan Jones. I know at first when you saw Dr. Jones, you were like, wait, Josh, did you get a doctorate? I did not get a doctorate. Uh, it's, a, it's a different person. So, uh, Dr. Jones, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, I'm a clinical psychologist and sex therapist. I am also a researcher and host of the popular podcast, Sex Therapy with Dr. Jones. Now, how long have you been in the podcasting space? I, I realize that that's like a, it's a really developing space and it's a way to attract a larger audience. Yeah, you know, I never, I never planned on doing it. I was doing, I ended up doing a bunch of interviews for different like media outlets, like Cosmopolitan and different things in 2019. And someone from Cosmopolitan said, you should really do a podcast. And so... We began January 2020, right before the pandemic really kind of hit. So that's how that started. It's all, like 2020, is, it's, it's such a funny year for me uh, because I feel like that year happened in phases. There was the start of the year where everybody's like, it's going to be a beautiful decade. Um, they were right. optimistic, like so many new things started. And then not even a quarter of the way into it, it's like, surprise, COVID, let's just shut down and um kind of be an isolation society you know it quickly diminished right like yeah. there's all this hope too right when it happened like okay give it a few months we'll yeah. be fine yeah. we'll, we'll pick things back up yes and here we are they never thought it would be the decade of covid but i mean so far i mean it's two almost what almost two years strong absolutely um, but guys, today we didn't come here to talk about covid that's that's not what we're talking about here today i I think this is a rare opportunity. We actually have an actual doctor in the house, you know, and a sex therapist on top of that. So knowing in good bachelor pad fashion, we have to get to the bottom of this. We have to really ask like the juicy questions. So the first time I think I heard about a sex therapist was, don't judge me for this, okay? Uh, it was when Netflix released the show Sex Education. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that or heard about it? I have. In fact, a friend of mine is the script consultant for the show. Oh, that's amazing. That's wow. Small world. So yeah, the first time I heard about it, it was it was through proxy because as you know, um, it's not even like the mom who's the actual sex therapist for the most part. It's the son um, who has just like kind of absorbed some of her, her knowledge through all the years of uh, rearing. I always wondered, uh, like, it's, 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 I don't, well, I, don't, I don't want to say it's a small space, but it's a newer space for me. Um, normally, when you think therapy, uh, you think 
like just lying on a couch talking about your problems, what are some typical reasons that people might seek out a sex therapist? So people come to a sex therapist for a number of reasons. It could be very um, common things like dealing with sexual orientation or gender identity. It could be common dysfunctions like erectile dysfunction, early ejaculation, delayed ejaculation for females. It could be something like vaginismus. Um, it could come with relationship concerns, like there could be mismatched desire, low libido. Um, it could just be not sexually compatible with their partner and trying to find ways to navigate through those topics. And then it could be more pressing, more traumatic concerns, I would say, like issues such as sexual trauma. Um, it could be medical concerns like various types of prostate cancer or things of that nature that people come for therapy for. Okay. Um, now, I've I've dealt with a couple of sexologists. Now, is there like a really big difference between like a sex therapist and a sexologist? Uh, yeah. So there's quite a bit big difference. Yeah. Sexologists are um, more individuals who study sex sexuality. Um, actually, began in Berlin. The study of sexology originally began in Berlin with uh, uh, Humboldt and. A sex therapist is more a practicing clinician who deals with issues of sex, sexuality, and gender. And as a sex therapist, there's quite a bit of rigorous training that you have to go through once you are a clinician. Um, for example, most organizations require something around 150 hours of training additionally to, to do sex therapy. You know, I, that number, it seems like, oh, 150, it's like not that many hours, but... I can just imagine while you're actually in session, like that's so that is only, so that's 150 hours of education. You then need something like 300 hours of clinical training as well. So it's, it's a rather rigorous process. Yeah. So about last fall, I kind of decided that I wanted to like take the next step around here. So I was thinking about applying for my like PsyD and sex therapy as well. And I was like kind of looking at a lot of the course loads and I was like, well, like when you read it, it, sometimes it doesn't seem like that lot, but then a lot, but then if you think about it, well, I mean, besides like, I was like, I was like, yeah, you have the clinical hours, but then you have like the study hours and then like everything, you know, everything else. And I could just see that that's a very, it became very daunting to me really quickly. So it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. So just kudos to you for making it through. Uh, how, how long have you been a sex therapist or how long have you been a psychologist? Let's, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, so I have been doing work in psychology before I finished my doctorate. I finished my doctorate in psychology in 2018. Okay. Um, so not that long ago. I had started doing, I mean, even my master's thesis was in sex therapy. So I had been working in the field for, for much longer, but um, my doctorate was finished in 2018. Okay. So um, that's that's crazy because that's when I was, I was finishing undergrad about that time. So I would have ideally originally been starting my master's when you were finishing your doctors. I would say time flies, but COVID slowed everything down. So it seems like you have way more years of practice. Uh, I call them COVID years, you know, so you've probably been practicing for more like 10 years, um, what feels like. And, and you know, COVID, I've seen more clients during COVID than ever before, obviously, right? Because I mean, you're faced with situations either you're not around your partner or you don't have a partner and how do you develop a relationship and start a relationship in the middle of a pandemic or you're separated from your partner? How do you keep the passion in your relationship when you're 
you know, socially distancing. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been a very busy, been a very busy two years. I can only imagine, like I said, um, people like at the start, they probably thought nothing of it, but like you said, as you hit that six month period of potentially being away from your partner or, um, you know, first dates for me, I went like COVID was, I hate saying this. It was good for me. Uh, in 2020, I went on 21, 21 or 22 first dates. Um, it was the most, the most I've ever like put myself out there in a year because I feel like it forced people to actually focus on getting to know people rather than just sitting in their like stereotypes of like who you might see at a bar or something. Sure. Sure. So do you find that during that period, these were more successful in getting to know other people than previously? I do believe that I started to make more genuine connections. Um, Like I said, simply because, at least for me, I'm usually not the one who, I wasn't a big dater beforehand. You know, uh, I was, I was young, like fresh out of college. So I was just like, and like the let's hang out phase, but um, twenty like twenty nineteen twenty twenty, I decided I was like, all right, we have to put on big boy pants. We actually have to start investing in relationships. Um, and that, so that's what I did. I like even though a lot of these first dates didn't accumulate to second dates, the ones that did lead to second and third dates, um, I believe were quality relationships. That's good. That's good. And now, did you do these in person or were they more social? Because, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of people really were forced to get to know each other on a intellectual or personal basis and not just sexual or physical basis because of, you know, you were limited in where you could go and what you could do. Right. Um, So do you you find that to be true for you as well? I think it was 50-50. Just because I wanted to, like, test myself. I like so like a lot of the dating apps they like they took off like distance filters so you could like talk to somebody from like a different country or halfway across like the US and realistically speaking like the people I met on the other coast I don't know how like tangible those relationships would have been as things up you know cuz I was like to quit to quit somewhere and like to move halfway across the country is a massive gesture sure. um and there's so much that goes into it that you can't like typically you wouldn't go into it blind, so to speak, like without actually going to visit the city or having a job lined up or et cetera, et cetera. So those relationships, I think those were just fun, like social experiments, but the ones like in proximity, um, like I said, they led to second, third dates and then eventually in-person interactions. And I think that year I had, tw- like I said, I had 21 first dates, but I think I actually ended up dating one person for about six months, six to seven months. Okay. And then as things opened back up, life got back on. And then that was a whole different ball game of that. Like, I almost forgot that. I feel like people forgot about is how do we life again? You know, you can't yeah. just spend all day with each other or quarantine for a month uh, in the same house. You have to go back to your house. You might have to different work schedules or whatever. And, you know, this this has created a lot of issues with relationships because you have some people, you know, because businesses had shut down in certain areas, so people were looking for jobs and they would have to relocate exactly. away from their partner. Or you got 
couples who were stuck together for a extended period of time, which, you know, they're coming to therapy, you know, uh, and it was either therapy or jail, right? That I always make that joke. Either they were going to go to therapy or they're going to kill each other. <laughs> so it was, it, and so it really does create a lot of new ways of looking at relationships and new hurdles for relationships to deal with. So that's great that you were able to explore that some. I agree. And I feel like as tough as 2020 was for dating, I, want, I, I don't know if you saw this, I feel like 21 might have been a little harder. Um, uh, just because I know at the start, it seemed like couples who were already formed or and like had to spend large quantities of time together were like at each other's throats and like were rocky for a second. But I feel like newer couples going into like the vaccine being available and like, like I said, life starting to happen again, they were faced with the fact of how do I go back into society with this new relationship like with that because I, I feel like there were so many like it was um like schrodinger's cat like while we were in quarantine your relationship was alive and dead so to speak you know like it was it was legit and not legit but once you like open it up to the world like now you're like what is it it brings new variables to add into that dynamic yes Absolutely. i like i'm always curious to see um and it might be 50 50 do you tend to deal with more singles or couples in your yeah, in your so practice it, it changes, um, and, and I think it depends on the therapist, too. Like, I have some colleagues that I know that work exclusively with couples, and I know some who deal mostly with singles. I would say it really depends on the therapist, um, and, and it changes over time, right? Like, like, it seems like it comes in waves, and it seems like also that the issues that they present with come in waves. So, like... I'll have seems like an inordinate amount of people coming with sexual trauma all at one time or like sexual dysfunction all at one time. Um, so I deal with both. I think right now my caseload is mostly individuals, although I do have some couples. Okay. Do you, are your clients typically like long-term with you? Um, or is it like they're here for like six to eight months and then they like go back out and then maybe come back? So it's, it's hard to say, I would say that I get the question all the time, like how, like initially they're like, so how long is this going to take? Like, they're like, I have, say they have something like, um, delayed ejaculation mm -hmm. and they're like, well, how long is this going to take? I cannot answer that question. Like there's no magic wand that I can wave and magically everything's okay because when we begin to discuss things and we begin to look into their lives and possible causes of the sexual dysfunction i mean it could depending on how how much there is to unpack it could take any amount of time unfortunately like, right. I, don't, I don't have these answers um so it depends i have some clients who are long term and some clients who you know are able to work through issues much quicker some some of them just need simple sex education so that's obviously a lot quicker than someone who has serious concerns with, um, again, trauma or exactly. you know, anxiety issues. Yeah. So one thing, one of the questions um, I've I've been really curious about since I started like my study into sex and sexuality um, is I feel like a lot of the issues or a lot of the things I've come across with like people who listen or like people in my life or my clients is a lot of it could be solved just by simply educating people sexually. Do you have, do you have kids or? I do not have kids. Do not. No. 
I don't either, so it's okay. Um, I just I still remember the days of like in middle school where they like sat us down and they had like the quote unquote sex talk with us, or they they did sex ed, sex ed with us. And I feel like now as an adult, there were so many things that they glossed over, just yeah. did not mention at all that. Sure. That if like they spent time on, I feel like it would make things so much easier for people. Yeah. So one problem with sex education and I have a 13 year old niece who her mother calls me often with, you know, wanting to know how to navigate things with a, you know, a a teenage daughter who's going through puberty. Right. Because you have a lot going on here. You have all these hormones going through. You're starting to pay attention more to the opposite sex or same sex, depending on the child. Sex education is really all about abstinence in the United States um, yeah. and many places in the world. It's very abstinence driven, and that's not very realistic. Obviously, there are there 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 is value in some abstinence and in certain cases, but unfortunately, I think that sex therapy needs to be or sex education needs to be more pleasure oriented. Because they are going to experiment and they are going to try things. And it's more about if you are able to equip them and give them the knowledge that they need. And that knowledge also includes alternatives. You know, like you don't have to have the sexual relationships with this partner. Um, you can experiment on your own and you can learn what you like. And you don't have to do it just because this partner wants to do these things. Um, and I don't think we... Inc- we are equipping and empowering young people um, with with the empowerment of consent. I think we do a terrible job with that. Yeah. With the pleasure aspect of sex education, we do a terrible job of that. You know, I remember when I went to school, sex education was basically they showed us a bunch of people with sexually transmitted infections that were not treated, which is another terrible thing. You're scaring these poor Yeah kids that you know if they get a sexually transmitted infection they don't go to the doctor and get the medication to take care of it and so i do think it creates a lot of problems but um i would also say that i don't think it's just sex education in school i think it's what you also get at home what you get in your environment like what are you picking up as far as how for example maybe your parents interact and they talk about their relationship together or other people, how this is modeled in your life. And so I think we pick up a lot of these things. I would agree. I feel like, like you said, in the U.S. especially, everything's always abstinence. But then, like, you become, like, a certain age, and then you're just supposed to be a professional at it. But like I said, I, I feel like it's a, it's a hamster wheel or a chicken and egg situation where you don't learn about it. So, how, like, how do you teach it to your kids? Sure. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I've become big in um, is – as I prepare to like enter into that like realm where I start thinking about kids is how sex positive would I be with my children? Cause I, I had a guest on, um, I think it was like episode seven. We were talking about, uh, I had my friend on and he was a new dad and he was like, no, I'm not going to have a pleasure to like sex talk with my kids. You know, like I would, I wouldn't want my kids to learn about like sex and sexuality too early, but I was like, but why not? Because I was like, kids, like, especially kids who don't fit the hetero binary, um, when they're they're growing up and nobody's talking about it or they feel like there's no instruction on what the, they're really confused with themselves. And then that just leads to a whole slew of potential traumas or just like negative experiences sure. for, you know, for them. And then 
it's not till they become way, way older um, that uh, they get a chance to even explore or, you know, you, you, you know where I'm going with this. Well, let me tell you this. This is a very interesting fact for any, any person who's listening to this show who may have children or children on the way. Parents who talk with their kids openly about sex and educate them about sex early on, statistics show that the children end up waiting longer to have sex. So they're not, so this idea that if I talk to them about having sex, they're going to have sex. It's the complete opposite. The more they're empowered and the more they're educated about this, they usually have sex later on in life. Well, there we go, folks. Like, if you want true abstinence, you know, you you might just like equip, you know, just like I said, educate your children and like know that you taught them well and that they um, are capable people to make their own decisions. Right. Right. Going from education to um, the pleasure aspect, I also do, do. You also have people who come in who like who maybe are pleasure seekers as well. Um, I know one thing that for me, I, I started to like talk to somebody maybe like I said about a year and a half, two years ago. I was I don't feel like there was anything wrong with like my sex life, but I just feel like it was like very limited and like repetitive. So do you have people who come in or like, or they ask you for tools to like, Hey, like, how do you, how do you spice up? Yeah. So not only couples, but also individuals, right? Like, you know, obviously couples, whether they've been in a relationship for a longer period of time and they've just become bored or early on in the relationship or they just don't seem to enjoy sex with each other, but they like everything else about the relationship. Um, and individuals as well, you know, there are people who come, they're like, you know, I just get bored with sex or how can I have more enjoyment in sex? I just don't enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that commonly people come to therapy for. Now, um, what are some, if you don't mind, what are some like typical avenues or resources that like you you give to your clients who are looking to spice up their lives, at least for like the singles? Sex toys. Sex toys. I'm a big pusher of sex toys for individuals and for couples. Um, I think masturbation is very important. I think masturbation is the one way that we learn about our bodies. We learn what's pleasurable. Here's what's important thing to realize too. Um, I've had, I had a client one time and he's like, Oh, I've been masturbating since I was 12 or 13. You know, like I, I know all about masturbation. I don't just mean Entering masturbation for the purpose of achieving an organ. Hosting a birthday party, having a family reunion or a church event. How about a new merch for your business? Well, it's a good thing that you're plugged in with the best custom made to order company in Columbus. Tunnel Vision is new, professional, and has a five-star rating on Google. We make what you envision come to life. Give us a call or a text at 614-537-1160 for any quotes or questions. Um, check out our website also. It's at www.tunnelvision.pro. That's P-R-O. Um, also, our social media platforms are Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram is at refuse.tolose, and our Facebook is at Tunnelvision LLC. Keep your eyes out for our TikTok and Snapchat coming soon. Look forward to hearing from you. Bye. Um, I often encourage clients to set time as as a self-care routine, actually. Um, I think it's great self-care. I mean, there's plenty of health benefits to masturbation to begin with. But I think if you really can set the mood, 
you know, whether it's you like to turn down the lights, have nice music, have nice lights, whatever, however, whatever environment you feel most comfortable and you can really begin to explore your body. And I don't just mean go straight for your genitals, but I mean, touch your body, see where your body feels pleasure. And, you know, this will change over time too. find your erogenous zone, see the way that you like to be touched in these different areas. This is very empowering because it shows you that your body can give you pleasure, right? This is very helpful for people who have poor self-esteem and poor body image. It's also very important because you're discovering what you like as a sexual being. And you can later communicate this with a partner and say, you know what? I like to be touched here. Couples can do this together too, right? Like they can both lay down. They can practice touching themselves and each other, or you can move your partner's hand around your body to find areas where you feel the most pleasure or let them explore your body. And then you move their hand back to areas that you like the most. And so in this way, masturbation takes on a, a much um, broader effect instead of just spending 10 minutes and trying to get it over with and move on. It becomes, you know, a, a much more intimate process of self-discovery. Thank you. Okay. See guys, I'm not just blowing hot air when I say this. I talk about this all the time. Um, and on the show and in my real life, I believe masturbation is probably like one of the best things in the world. Like you said, um, I think it not only gives you a chance to like get to know yourself, but it helps you improve intimacy, which I feel like is something that's like, it's not taught really with yourself or with a partner. Does, masturbation does so much. It reduces stress. It reduces anxiety. It gives you better quality of sleep. It boosts your immune system. I mean, the results of masturbation are tremendous. I did a study in 2020 showing that masturbation for females who, I don't know how much of a female audience you have, but I'm sure that some of the guys listening have a partner. Uh, we've shown that masturbation helps reduce period pain. Not only does it reduce their period pain, but it also reduces the frequency of their period pain. And so there are so many health benefits to masturbation. That's why I say it really should be a, form of self-care listen guys you heard it from the doctor himself like if not for you for your partner like it's it's really crucial to take time and get to know yourself um because like i said relieving stress we live in a really stressful day and age you know where all we do is seems like all work no play so that's helpful relieving pain like oh like allowing your partner to just like have some time to herself or himself and just, like I said, take that self-care can do nothing but potentially strengthen your relationship. Um, and then as he was talking about the whole mutual masturbation, I say this, like, you know you better than anybody else. So why not show somebody what you like that way that you're reaching, you're achieving the maximum pleasure that you can. I mean, that's the, that's the name of the game. Um, you know, it's not a race. It's it's a marathon that, like, you should enjoy. Just Dr. Chris, you know, I just, you're, you're, you're here and you're just making my day right now. You know, I'm learning. Oh, I'm, I'm getting validation, which is also good. Um, and then hopefully we're educating the audience. So, like, typically the audience is about 50% women. So I know my bachelorettes out there who are listening there, um, hopefully they're taking this to heart too and learning to chunk out some time for self-care for them. Now, I know that th therapy is only part of it. With your clients, do you ever recommend them or refer them to other like physicians? I know like with the erectile dysfunction, um, 
sometimes people see a, like a urologist for that um, because sometimes it might be a physical issue more than a mental issue or a conjunction of both. So I collaborate with a number of different healthcare professionals for a number of different issues. You mentioned uh, erectile dysfunction, um, delayed ejaculation is another one. Like it could be possible that there are, you know, there could be a pinched nerve. There could be a number of different issues that, that cause the dysfunction. So yeah, urologist, pelvic floor specialist. Yeah, it's often a collaboration. I, I like to ask these questions and I feel like you would be an amazing person to ask about these, to ask these questions too, because they're probably questions you talk to your clients about. So it'll be fun to see um, if the roles are reversed, uh, how they go down. We, I'm, I'm a big believer um, that we all could do, like nobody's perfect and we all can become better partners. So I have these like quickie questions I like to ask every guest. Um, and the first one being, what's like a really big turn on for you uh, when you have uh, a partner? We're talking sexually or intellectually because I, I think that both of those are, are important. Um, we sometimes don't distinguish between both of those, but our arousal cycle is very psychological and it includes both physical and other forms of stimulation too. So which one do you prefer me talk about? I, I leave it open for that very reason. Um, I like to see where people place their preference. Uh, sometimes it is physical. Sometimes it's uh, psychological. Sometimes it's both. Yeah. So, so there is this, um, I think what's very important for me is someone that I'm able to communicate with and to actually have a connection with. Um, I mean, I can think of times when I've been on dates with people who by all means, you know, we, we have these, we have society that really teaches, you know, guys, this idea of, Oh, if she looks a certain way, you should be very attracted to her. And you could be very physically attracted to the person, but when it comes intellectually, emotionally, there is no compatibility whatsoever. And this could be a big, to me, this is a very big turnoff. I feel like as I get older and what I've, I've even started to identify this way as like a demisexual is like when, I, when you're younger, especially for guys, we're very visual, like physical people. Sure. So like looks really do matter. But as I get older, I was like, you could be the prettiest one out of the bunch, but if there's no banter, if we have nothing in common, then I was like, "Sure, you just, I'm sorry, you just don't really do it for me." As we're as we're talking about this, I'm I'm thinking of a situation that that I was in several years ago, and I was on a date with a girl who was very very attractive. Like we would go into the restaurant, and everybody was talking about how pretty she was and how well she was dressed and everything. But the whole time she's talking, I was I, I just felt myself being more repulsed. If I could say it, like, the more she talked, the more annoyed I was. And I eventually said to her, I said, you know, you'd be a lot prettier if you didn't talk. <laughs> and that's terrible. I don't recommend any guy saying that in any date. I'm telling you not to say that. That's really kind of how I felt in the moment. I, I've definitely been on dates like that. Or not even dates. I've definitely just had interactions like that where um, I feel like, like you said, like, like, why are you saying the things that you're saying? Like, does this normally work for you? I, I have said that on a date. I was like, does this normally like work for you? Um, not realizing like after you play back, I was like, it, that just does not sound good, but 
It's but, true. Um, sometimes, um, you know, people rely too heavily on their looks or you're just two different people, which is completely okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Sure. And that's, that's a very important thing. I think people need to recognize that dating is really a numbers game. It really is. And it's not, it's not an issue of you're not good enough. It's really an issue of you haven't found the right person because everyone has their own unique, um, what, own unique qualifications of what they look for in a person. And it's okay, even if you're in a relationship, to recognize that you're not compatible. And that doesn't make one person bad and the other person good or one person right and the other person wrong. It just means you're simply not compatible. And another thing I'd just like to add on to that is I feel like we're always in such a pass-fail society. So I feel like people, one reason people are afraid to mention or to think that they're not compatible is because that means like they're failing their relationship. But I don't think that's the case. Like you said, it's just a matter of like, if you don't put the right puzzle piece together, that doesn't mean you failed. That just means like it wasn't a good fit. Absolutely. And, you know, I often say that, um, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about whether they're single and lonely. And I know a lot of people who are married and miserable. So because they married the wrong partner. So it's, it's important to find the right piece that really fits in your life and that you can be compatible with. Now I want to flip the coin here. Um, we, we talked about what was a really big turn on for you, but the other side of that coin is what, like, what's a turn off for you? Hygiene. <laughs> see, Hygiene is probably the, the big one. See, I think it's always so funny when I ask about the turn on the like, people are always 50, 50, whether it should be, physical or uh, like something like mental or personality driven. Yeah. But every time, every time I ask about the turnoff, it always becomes physical. Um, so I think that's, I, I find that to be very fascinating, but I, I like, I want, I definitely am a hundred percent on board with you. Hygiene is the end all be all. It's the start and finish of it. Well, especially if you're going to be intimate with someone, right? Like that's, that's kind of a, that could be kind of problematic. Or if you think, or if you think about like even having to live with someone, do you really want to live with someone who is a slob? And yeah. you know what? That might be your personality. You might mesh with that and good for both of you. But for me, that's that's the issue. That like I'm gonna take a small little segue here, um, and talk about hygiene a little bit. I, uh, guys, if you remember, if you listened to it, we had a, a Wine Wednesday episode uh, with my friend Duncan. And we kind of touched on this, but we didn't really get into it. I feel like women, especially, I don't know, like, uh, if you can attest to this, but I feel like women are always so prepared for, like, going into a date. Like, they're, like, always, their hygiene is, like, good in case, like, they, like, we do get intimate later. However, I know, especially with younger guys, they don't take the same thought or um, approach to that. Like, I've definitely seen people, like, go from like the gym or like their work day and onto a date. And I'm just, for me, like I always have to make sure there's like at least an hour and a half, two hours between me doing anything and then a date. So I have time to prep because I couldn't imagine like, even if you're just doing your work day stuff and you go have fun on the date and then you try to be intimate. I was like, you've been moving around all day. Like you're, you're not at your best. And then you expect. Well, let's, let's even take let's even take the intimacy area aspect out of that, right? Like you preparing for your date 
is that not showing that you have an investment in what's about to happen and showing respect to the person that you're going to be with? You know what I mean? Like there's a whole nother component about that. Um, I, I see it often with couples who have been in a relationship together where, you know, they're like, oh, you know, my husband, he used, when we were dating, he used to always smell so good. He'd always be dressed so nice. And um, whatever we would go on dates and things. And now he just, you know, his hygiene has gone down or either, you know, he doesn't dress as nice or he doesn't put as much effort. And that's the real word. It really shows your partner that you're putting effort into this date, whether it's the first date, the 10th date, it really shows that you're actually contributing and putting something in, you're investing in it. And I guess, I mean, I don't guess, I know you're completely right. Um, people take for granted or they get so complacent that they forget how much effort really means, you know? Right. Um, it's it's literally like the little things that you do make the, the grandest gestures, in my opinion. Sure. Um, whether that's, you know, like if you guys have a regular date night, the foreplay beforehand, maybe like sending a text throughout the day while you're at work or apart from each other, down to like knowing the favorite restaurant or maybe wearing her, your partner's favorite color, um, the slightest compliment that those little like bits of effort, I feel like make such a tremendous impact in your relationship. And those are things that are meaningful, right? Like right. Those are things where if your partner did something just little and special like that for you, it, it's noticeable and it's meaningful. It shows that they are paying attention to you even on very minute details. And that's very nice. Yeah. Now, um, this is one of my favorite questions that I like to ask. Um, and a lot of people, I they, they give me the same answer. So, But I'm hoping maybe you, you'll, you'll give me something different. Or, or at least something I, I, I haven't thought about. If you could give your younger self a piece of advice about sex or relationships, what would that be? Oh, that's a good, you know, I got into sex therapy because I was doing an internship with the, is then was called the Army Substance Abuse Program. It's, it's now called something else. And I had soldiers that were coming and they were asking questions that were related to sex. I didn't know anything. I mean, I literally didn't know anything. And I was just stunned at how stupid I was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, if I, if I was to give myself any advice, um, it would be to not really care about what anyone thinks and to be more accepting and open of myself and to know that it's okay to not always have a definite answer on any, anything. You know what I mean? Like, yes. even when it comes to like your sexual likes and dislikes, I don't have to know right now exactly what I want and, and, and how I expect things to be. And I can appreciate the journey of exploring my sexuality with my partner, without my partner, you know, and, and, and grow and know myself better. I think that's a good one. Um, so often, like I said, everybody thinks that everything's like black and white, but I was like, no, we live in, there's a lot of gray. Um, and like you said, things change over time. Like what served you when you were like 18 or 19 may not serve you when you're 30. 
or you know what no, but, you know society kind of tells you that at 18 19 you have to have all the answers you need to know what you're going to college for you know you need to know what you're majoring in for the rest of your life um, you need to know the type of partner you want you need to be finding that partner instead of knowing that you have a unique journey for yourself to contribute to your society and contribute to the world that you live in and you don't have to be like everyone else I think that's very important to know. I agree. Um, especially uh, one of the things I do with my clients that um, I'm coaching who are starting new relationships, um, and they're, they're not quite sure they're having the compatibility issue, is I give them, like, like, a chart. And I was like, just go through these with your partner. And, like, what are your definite yeses or nos? Or, like, some things you're just really unsure about. Like, you might want to try or you, you're not sure if you're ready to try. Um, and just sit down and take the time. And then from that, you, you might learn something or you might find something that you never thought about that might appeal to you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I'll, I do something similar. Um, I, I know several people who do a chart like this of like, you know, of rating things like what you would like to try and not. Um, another thing I tell couples do when they're at home together is to list things that they would both like to do sexually. And then just, draw them out of a hat and then explore things each time they're in an encounter together. And that can be very fun because you know, you're not sure what's happening. Listen, that gives you spontaneity. It gives me yeah. low key magic vibes. It gives like, there are less, there's a lot there. I like that idea. Um, like guys, we all have the hat lying around. It doesn't have to be a top hat. Like it can be any hat, but no. this but sounds like a great idea. Right. Yeah. I like that. Um, Question four, uh, what is one thing that you think that you could be better at as a partner? Yeah, so I don't think, I know I could be better at this. I work a lot. Yeah. I, I, I really work a lot and I try to, I have a terrible work-life balance and I know that I could be better as a partner if I could figure out a way to work with that better. <laughs> Because it's, like it's something I struggle with, yeah. Because you have a fiance. Uh, how long have you guys been together? Too or, long. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she might say that. Um, have you guys been engaged she, for a while? She probably no, but she 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 is very. Um, well, although I do know that she probably would say that she needs more attention. My my thing is I have a very tough time focusing on just one thing. It's not an ADHD thing. It's usually something about work and other things that I need to do. I understand. And so, like, I try to, like, multitask, like, quality time while doing work. And that's not fair to her always. Yeah. Um, and But I will say, and this goes to the compatibility issue, she takes it very, very well. And she is very respectful of that and very understanding of that and doesn't complain about it even though she probably has a right to hopefully right. she's not going to listen to this <laughs> we will, i won't tell her about it well okay don't tell her uh, i'll put a disclaimer i'm all uh partnered people just tune out for this uh little okay. two minutes at the end no um and then lastly do you think like because I, I i find this that the more i like study the more i learn the more i work with people uh in collaboration or like from a uh, client perspective do you think that you bring your work home with you in the sense that you kind of therapize your relationships what i will say is 
my style of therapy is very person-centered. It's mm-hmm. very much like communicative. I generally have an interest in investment in people. Like I love the work that I do. I think the work that I do is important and I think people are important. I care about people. I'm compassionate towards people. And so I would say that even when I'm talking to people, I do find that without even consciously thinking about it, I'm not necessarily therapizing them, but I I am asking them questions and inquiring about them in ways that I would with a client or, you know, because my my brain just automatically works this way, especially when it's new people. When it's new people, I'm automatically doing that. I find, I think that's been the hardest thing for me as I like try to start meaningful relationships is like you said, unintentionally without realizing it. I'm like, am I dating this person or like, are we having a session right now? And then I was like, that line becomes really like hard to, to navigate. Uh, Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, So I do a lot of consultations with a lot of sex toy companies and I do a lot of collaborations with them as well. And so I had recently received a box of products from a very well-known company and they had some new products and I was sitting at, and my partner messaged me and asked me what I was doing. I said, I'm at the table playing with these toys that they sent me. Now, of course, most people, what they're saying, they're playing with a sex toy. It's always in a sexual way, right? Yeah. And she thought it was so funny. And she's like, you know, most guys, if they're like, I'm these things are so cool. This is so fascinating. She's like, but I know you're probably sitting at the table and you're probably like looking at them going, Oh, this is neat. Look what this does. Yeah. I mean? And so I, I do say that that's kind of how I approach sex sometimes as well. It's it's very it's very fascinating, interesting to me instead of being caught up in the moment. Oh, I listen, we've all been there. Um, that's great. Um I normally stop at five, but I have to ask, just because you brought it up. Can you just for myself, because I'm always curious, I think it's I think especially for like men like there's a stigma around like sex toys but i'm always super curious to learn about like new sex toys or like the best best place to go to to get some or like to try some so could you give us a couple good recommendations for like sex toys for men or sure so uh one company that i really appreciate is tanga they make some wonderful toys they're based in japan they make wonderful products for men that are non-atomic pull in their feet. They don't look like anatomy, okay? Yeah. So they could be any type of like masturbator. Um, they they make a number of products that I think are really nice. Some of them are disposable and they're one-time use. Some of them you can use multiple times. Um, one of the products that we I, I really like is the Tango Orb, O-R-B. I think that's a wonderful product. Um, I endorsed a product that came out last year called ArcWave. Uh-huh. Um, ArcWave is a wonderful product that is very unlike anything on the market. It It is a stroker that focuses on air pulse technology on the frenulum, which is the back part of the yeah. head of the penis, which is where you have the most nerve endings. And so I think that's a wonderful product to play with and explore with. Um, of course, one of the most highest selling products is the Fleshlight brand. And, you know, the thing about Fleshlight is they have a number of things that aren't, that don't look like anatomy either. I mean, they have a number of different products too that are nice. And they're, and I will say one thing 
in defense of the Fleshlight Company is that they are wonderful people who work there and wonderful people to interact with. And I've always had good experiences in communicating with them. Well, thank you. Uh, like I said, this has been such an informative and just fun conversation um, just to talk to you today. Um, before we kind of let you go, I always do you have anything else you'd love the, uh, to share with the audience that you think I can't leave here today? Like, not at least mention this. So I don't know if it's that I have to mention this, but <laughs> I, I should have said with the sex toys, because I only talked about for men who enjoy penis play. Oh. And some men enjoy anal play as well. And there are a number of wonderful anal products made especially for men. WeVibe makes a wonderful one called um, the Vector. Yeah. This is a very highly rated product that we had done. Um, and so, and your partner can, can control that even if y'all are not together, but, um, so I don't want to limit or to think that all guys only enjoy penis play because some really enjoy prostate play and it could be a wonderful thing for your sexual journey. Life, just like sexuality and sex is an open door. Like there's so much to explore. Um, and it's, it's a safe space. Like we, we encourage it actually, you know, um, don't limit your pleasure. Like I, I only do the things I want to do in life. So that goes from work to the bedroom. So I believe you all should do the say same. For, let me say this for your clients. A study out of Harvard shows that men who orgasm two to three times a week have a much lower chance of prostate cancer. And this is improved as well by men who do prostate stimulation. So there's a lot of health benefits, not only masturbation, but much lower chance of prostate cancer. And this is improved as well by men who do prostate stimulation. So there's a lot of health benefits, not only masturbation, but specifically with when, when prostate play is included as well, that you, you have a lot lower risk of getting prostate cancer. Guys, you open said this is I'm I'm like you're hearing it from the doctor's mouth himself. I'm out there today. Go buy a toy. Buy buy two. Buy one for you, one for your partner. I know Christmas just passed. You know, let's start the new year off with some exciting, healthy play. Once again, thank you again, Dr. Uh Dr. Jones. Uh let us know like where we can find you at if you guys have questions or if you're seeking single or couples therapy uh in this area. I, I know he's probably more than willing to to sit down and talk and work with you guys. So where can we find you at? So my website, the easiest one to get to is sextherapypodcast.com. You can find me there. You can also find me on Instagram or Twitter at uh, sextherapypod. And they can also tune into the podcast, Sex Therapy with Dr. Jones. It's found just about everywhere. All righty. Uh, when, when do you typically do uploads? Usually Sunday nights. Every Sunday night, a new episode. All righty, guys. Sunday night. I mean, you're not really doing anything. You're just settling in for the next workday. So, you know, you need to go tap in wherever you like to listen to this at um, and listen to his podcast. I know you'll learn so much more that you didn't even think you needed or wanted to know. Um, <laughs> like I said, thanks guys for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Not So Bad Patchler Pad. Don't forget to head over to our, our social media and our new website, thenotsobad.com where we host a variety of different content to keep you um, on your toes and to evolve as a bachelor or a partner. Um, and I'll see you guys next Thursday.